that when you're playing a game, particularly a video game, you get this amazing feedback. So if I'm playing something like uh, Call of Duty, which is the sort of, you know, shoot 'em up, I get a very kind of instant statistics on how I'm doing in that game. Because the modern generation has, has grown up playing these sorts of games, this generation really is coming into the workplace expecting that same level of feedback that they might have got um, when playing a game. So gamification for me is very much about providing better feedback for individuals. All right, here we go. So Jeremy, tell me, what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we've got another session on gamification, but this time um, with a specific focus on how it can be used in the workplace. And to help us with that, we've got Toby Beresford, who's uh, an expert on these things, Toby, I believe. And Toby's written a brilliant book called Infinite Gamification, uh, Motivate Your Team Until the End of Time, which actually is a a step-by-step guide on how to create effective games and the theory behind it and the practice. Um, available on Amazon or any good bookstore, with a bit of luck. Um, so, Toby, you're going to guide us through all this. So perhaps to start with, you can give us a little bit about your background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, uh, thanks Oliver, for having me on. Uh, so I'm, I'm really sort of describe myself as a, as a digital entrepreneur. I mean, I've kind of been working in the digital space really all my life. I, I was... I was thinking. I was remembering as a as a nine year old. I think I appeared in the Times educational supplement as a boy spending his holidays trying to learn machine code so he could write faster games. Um, I then went on. You're a, you're a very late developer, Toby. A very late developer. There was that was that and table tennis were my main passions. I think uh, hasn't changed very much. Um, I um, I worked for IBM in my gap year. I, I did a computer science degree at Durham University. Um, I worked a bit with my dad, who works for the United Nations in uh, in Indonesia. Uh, 2001, I, I set up a, an international aid charity that connected donors to um, micro development projects via the internet. Um, and then 2007, I went, I took that whole kind of social connectedness piece a bit further because I got involved with Facebook and there uh, and developing apps for Facebook. Uh, I created an agency called Nudge that um, I then sold to another another agency uh, in about 2010. And then, so that's that takes us 10 years ago. And it was from then really that I started to get seeing uh, gamification and this this kind of quantification of 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 scores and leaderboards and uh this 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 idea that the kind of these numbers coming at us from all, all all places particularly on social media but from lots of places so i've been really looking at gamification this uh this management and the way in which we use these numbers uh really since then so um and i've been i within gamification there's quite a broad space but i've specifically been focusing on this area um of infinite gamification which is very much more about uh sort of I- individual numbers and leaderboards Cool. Do you want to give us just a brief summary um, for those that haven't um, listened to the previous episode we've done on gamification, on what gamification is and the the idea of the finite and the infinite? Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, 2011, the word gamification um, made it into the Oxford English Dictionary for the first time. So it's been around for quite a while and you get plenty of different sort of understandings of what exactly it is but for me my my lens is really it's really the the observation that that when you're playing a game particularly a video game you get this amazing feedback 
So um, if I'm playing something like uh, Call of Duty, which is the sort of, you know, shoot 'em up uh, war game, I, I get I get a very kind of instant statistics on how I'm doing in that game. And because um, because I've lots of people like myself uh, and very much kind of the the, 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 the the modern generation has has grown up playing these sorts of games. So we're this generation really is coming into the workplace expecting that same level of feedback that they might have got um, when playing a game. So gamification is is for me is very much about providing better feedback for individuals. Um, I mean, it's been around forever. I mean, if you if you look at ancient Egyptian workers working on the pyramid, they'd get a scorecard from their boss how many how many blocks they deliver against their target each day. So it's not like um, gamification is anything new. Of course, it isn't. It, but it's um, it's it's really kind of uh, t- trying to sort of trying. To, we're just seeing it kind of in a new light um, nowadays. Uh, and and I think for me the the difference between those two questions of this finite gamification versus infinite gamification is really very simple. Is that a finite uh, gamification uh, has an end point? There's a point where you win, uh, you have an epic win, and that's the end of it. You don't continue it. Uh, you might reach the top level, you might complete all the tasks that have been set. And so what we see is that those sorts of games are, um, are very much, and, and I go into this in, in in a bit more detail in the book. But those sorts of games uh, are very much very very useful in education for example when you're just trying to learn something there's a bit of uh, and and we see that in the way in which we con- we construct our education system we see um that kind of finite gamification i talked about getting a degree that was the end of my degree and it was supposed that that at that point i knew computer science but actually in practice um it's actually going out into the workplace and doing it that that matters more and that's really where uh infinite gamification comes in because what infinite gamification is about is trying to see how can I keep getting better? How can I keep improving and performing at the things I'm doing? And so infinite gamification doesn't really have a particular endpoint because I can just keep on getting better. It's also the more controversial um, area of gamification, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think all, all gamification is, is a controversial area simply because you're, uh, the way in which it works by is you're kind of tapping into people's kind of some people's sort of basic conditioning that they get at school. The, where you, if you think about the, the number of hours with time that we spend in the classroom being conditioned about around getting a score, getting a house point, getting a, getting a marks in a test. Uh, so bringing that back into people's lives once they're adults is is obviously you're, you're sort of connecting to quite some quite sort of basic conditioning uh, and I think so I think with gamification that's that the, the, the challenge really is to do that in a in an appropriate way so why did it suddenly get taken into business what was the catalyst for that? was it the fact that just you know young foxes the younger generation were going into work I mean what was the catalyst for for that yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, I mean, if you look at this, um, I mean, I, I, if you look at it, I, I think there, are, I, I kind of see three kind of major trends, and these are sort of the the winds of change that are happening anyway, and and sort of gamification is really just just a sort of a, a, a necessary part of it. I mean, so I think the first one is is this whole area of digital transformation, digitization of the workplace. I mean, Satya Nadella of Microsoft said said it with COVID, we're in this jump to remote working, and we've seen two years of digital transformation in two months, is what he said. So um, we're definitely we're definitely being more working in a more digital way. 
Um, I think the second uh, key trend is is this idea of the Internet of Things, which is really about saying that there are more and more sensors in our lives uh, that are coming online and being connected. And they can be kind of digital sensors, like how much um, social media output you've done, how many posts, how many tweets, or they could be physical sensors, things like um, step trackers, uh, smart meters. And so with all these new sensors, we're getting a, a, a signal that, that is quantified in some way, and we're all expected to take account of it. And uh, I think the reality is that, that, that the businesses that do take account of that, those sorts of centers and, and sort of leverage them and harness them, uh, they're, they're, getting a, they're getting an advantage. So, so that's the, sort of the second one is this, sort of this, this arrival of lots of sensors. And then the third thing I think that is, that is contributing to the need for gamification is that we're, we're, we're being, we're, the decisions are being made by the robots increasingly. So this, this idea of algorithmic dis- decision making and, and algorithms, as we all well know, they, they, they only understand numbers. So, um, so for example, if, if I, if you say, say all three of us go and put out a post on social media, how, do, and, and we've got a friend in common, for example, how does the algorithm decide which post my, our friend sees first? And the reality is it's going to be looking at our numbers, you know, how many people have liked our posts, how many, how many people have, have commented on it in order to decide which of our three posts is going to be shown first. So it's the fact that that kind of robot is making choices about us it also means that the, the quantity of uh, our activity, which it, is, is, is therefore kind of more, more and more important. Yes, and we've discussed that on a, a previous episode um, regarding ethics, haven't we, Jeremy, that, that, that even the way that Netflix and, and other um, businesses in the communication space choose to show certain things, but not certain things, and certainly the, the social networks in, in terms of a feed, um, is driving our behavior and rewarding us in some ways for certain scoring. But I imagine the other thing is that in the UK, we've been lagging behind uh, our industrial competitors in terms of productivity for many, many years. And um, we tried process re-engineering and, you know, putting computers in and all this sort of stuff. Um, but in the end, making people more efficient, more productive, I imagine is a bit of a um, chalice that people are you know um searching for has that has that been a key driver the idea of trying to make people more effective sort of taylorism 2.0 yeah so that's a good that's a very good point so very good question so for me the key difference there from from say what we might imagine as taylorism 2.0 Sorry, could we just explain what Taylorism is? Sorry, I've yeah, so, so that sort of idea of scientific management and yeah. uh, making your how can I apply kind of science and empiricism to uh, process management to the workforce? How can I make people more efficient uh, and more uh, and hopefully more effective and therefore make the business uh, do better or increase profit? I suppose at the end of the day, that time and motion. I think they used to call it, didn't they? Yeah. Time and motion studies. I think my grandpa used to do time and motion studies at the at, on the Heinz work floor. I think I can I remember really? about those. Well, in fairness, I, I was working with a big cleaning, major cleaning company, and they used to use it. I mean, they had you went into a, an industrial kitchen and you wanted to clean stuff. There was something like twenty-seven steps that they broke it down to to clean a table or something. I mean, it was quite extraordinary yeah. with timings against each of them. Yeah, and and actually, if you see if you see cultures where where they, these processes haven't 
been into been it been implemented. I mean, these are all kind of part of the furniture now in terms of management. But there are cultures of places around the world where where it still takes two hundred and thirty two days, for example, to, to to start a business. And now somebody really needs to go into those countries. I'm not going to name a specific country, but get, go into those sorts of countries and say, right, how can we improve that bureaucracy? And and certainly a time and motion study and efficiency study would help there. So, can you give us some examples of where? Where it is actually being used effectively in the workplace? Yeah, so I think I think we see it we see it mostly in uh, in sales activity because uh, salespeople, for example, are uh, are very um, accustomed to being uh, seeing their activity and their results quantified, and then the remuneration and, and the reward that that comes with their job is also is also often on a commission basis. So they they're sort of comfortable with it, and I and I think that gives us a clue to where some of these these quantified approaches are are, are most effective the um so I, I mean i'll give you an example so i i um and this is a recent customer on on rise for example they 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 um do rental payments manage rental payments for estate agents and they've got a, a sales leaderboard of all the different sales people they have worldwide and they track them on five metrics number of sales number of demos number of calls how they're doing versus target and then report that back to them and this is kind of the, the interesting piece for me i think is that it's the that's that that's there's a summary of that uh, performance in terms of the the quantitative activities which is which is they're given a kind of a single score and then that is then reported back to them on a daily basis uh, and then they they're ranked within their team but then also their average score then goes for the average score of everybody within their team is then has a team v team um, kind of element so you can see which team across the globe whether it's asia pacific or europe or whatever it is um, can see which one's doing 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 best that day or that week so that kind of idea of 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 giving people good feedback in terms of what they need to do to do their job but then also kind of making it visible as a secondary thing making it visible in a kind of competitive environment is is very much a kind of a standard uh, design pattern within this within this world mm. i also came across the use of it in recruitment where you know selection where organizations are looking for talent and in order to keep people on you know if people are making an online application um, they've introduced gamification into it in order to keep people's interest and to keep them on the site such that they've actually finished the application form um, so that seems to be another um, quite innovative area in which it's starting to be used yeah. particularly with younger people yeah and that that's so that's an example of a finite finite gamification project where where you've just got something you just want someone to do in this case the the win is when they they've they've filled out their application form and sent it off um yeah do all of us respond to games in the same way uh so so um culturally there's there's a there's obviously a spectrum of of um uh a spectrum of care versus don't care. So some care a lot, some don't care much at all. Uh, so I, I don't think we all we all we all respond we all respond the same way. It does very much depend which uh, which game we're talking about and which score we're talking about because there's there are some scores that we all care very very deeply about. Uh, for example, you know the score of what your salary is. That's a that's a, a score that most people in the workplace do care about. Um, whereas another score, perhaps you know, who's uh, something perhaps simpler, like you know, who's cleaned the who's who's cleaned up the the, the, the coffee around the sink more, most often this week. People maybe don't care so much about. So 
I imagine you score quite highly on that one, Jeremy. <laughs> we need we need more people like Jeremy to clear up yeah. this thing. But it, it's it's um or maybe not so much in this remote time. That's one one issue that's starting to go away. But the um the so so I think the point my my point really is, and and this comes out in the book is that actually there are lots of different scores. There isn't just one or two. That we're 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 being um inundated to a certain extent by scores and it's and and the 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 issue is is that if we approach those scores with the kind of the uh, the kind of our basic sort of settings of the maturity of say a school a school child who's been given the score and just takes it as given i think that we'll we will struggle to to make the best use of them i think it's much more healthy for us to sort of to look at the scores that have been given to us and then say okay yeah that's a score i am going to care about because it it the, the results and the the outcome is important to me versus this other score that someone's giving me that actually I don't think is very interesting and, and is not important to me. So I, I think there's going to be a, what, what, we're, what, what, what I'm really hoping for is to see a, a, an increasing maturity, not just amongst the, the score givers, the, the managers, the, the coaches, the, the, uh, uh, the commentators who, who might sort of give a score to people and say, this is how you're doing, but actually a real maturity amongst the score receivers, which is, um, is this, is this something I'm going to care about? So, I think, in answer to your question, you know, do, do cultural and do, 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 does it does it affect us differently? Of course, it does, and I think the reason is that everybody has a has a unique context. So we each are quite unique in our own journey. So obviously, you know, there isn't going to be a one size fits all score that fits everybody. It just doesn't work like that. But but designing a game that works um, globally across cultures is possible, I assume, or not. It's possible within within specific within a specific domain and context. So, um, it, it, so for example, that I, I worked for a, a long period with a um, uh, an inside sales team that was global. It was across all cultures, all all different, all the all the usual languages, different language things, and um, they. Um, they did. They did create a single score that that was um, that was used by each of the each each team and each individual. And it, but it was it was it was it was a very specific context. It wasn't it wasn't actually a, a sales score like the first one I was telling you about in terms of sort of uh, revenue results. It was actually really uh, narrowly focused on y- use of the digital tools. So their objective. Interesting. Yeah. So their their objective wasn't so much are you a good salesman or not that, that salesperson or not. It was it was. More more are you using the the selling tools that we've been given to given you and have you adopted them and are you performing well and so it was it was kind of it was not na- was much more narrowly focused so if so if you imagine you're one of those sales professionals you're 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 given this score and it's kind of optional it's like well you want to be a better salesman right here's a score to help you use these tools and you talk about that in the book don't you in terms of scores that contribute to a, an ultimate score which carries the result the desired result yeah, that's yeah, that's right. So, so I mean, scores can be very basic, just a single metric, or they can be a, a mix of of two or three, or, or or in this case, there were sixty different metrics. So they can be quite sophisticated, and uh, but each one gives each one has a particular kind of goal and objective, which you then um, you then need to choose to adopt into your own kind of thinking on how on how you behave. But that's not for comparison. That's just for your own personal development. So, so for me, and 
infinite gamification is 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 the two is 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 putting the is the is the two together. It's it's the score that you get, and that's the most important thing. So, what is your score in any particular activity? And then the 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 second the second piece is the the comparison and and the comparison that I give you is uh, as uh, or or we decide as a community. I think is a better way of phrasing it. The the the, the, the comparison that we decide is the way in which we're going to compare scores. So, um, for example, let's take that salary example again in Nor- in Norway um, salary is something that is compared you can all see uh, each other's salaries whereas in the UK and most countries salary is something that's that's private so in that respect score is something that is is kept private and there's no comparison but in different countries for example Norway there is that uh, that, that, that there it's a much more open um, environment do you think that some scores should not be publicly shared and can be detrimental uh do i think some yeah of course so there's there are um uh I'll, well let's give you an example so, so what about a if if you um if you go for a kind of a mental health checkup for example they will uh, the the gp might score you uh, against a set of a set of criteria now that's a score that is very valuable to the individual but it's not something that that should be necessarily shared more widely from the reading I've done, it suggests that as you get older, you become less susceptible to comparison. You tend to compare with your past life and your past behaviours, your past successes, rather than compare against other people. Mm. Is that Would that be your experience? And if that's the case, how do you then start to design effective games for workforces, not just sales forces, but workforces more generally where they're representing lots of different age groups? Mm, yeah, no, that's a good question. So, um, I think there is the, in the book I talk about um, a maturity within the game. So there is this idea that when you first get, when you first receive, for example, a Fitbit, you're really excited about it, uh, and then uh, then over time that that matures, and it should it should mature into a kind of a, a, a this is a tracking tool that I I include in my life. Uh, I won't try and game it. I won't just sort of wave my hand up and down in order to get my step count up. Um, but then then there's this sort of idea of, of of more maturity over time where you actually might say, well, uh, this 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 score is no longer relevant to me. Um, and I think so. I think what we're, what you're reflecting there with with this idea that sort of say people more experienced, less interest in comparison. It's there is that's that same 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 question of relevance and whether they need it uh, and whether you need whether you need the comparison in order to know how well you're doing. Mm. Um, and I think so. Uh, and I, and, I, and I was just trying to. I mean, I, there was an example um, where I was we were working with a with that with with somebody. Funny enough, they were there was a there was there was a small team. We did a pilot, and they um, there was one guy who was right at the end of his career, and another one who was just at the beginning of the career. So it was it was, in, it was exactly what you were talking about. And yeah, def, I think it's definitely true that the the one who was just at the beginning of his career was much more interested in seeing how his score could improve. He wanted to learn those particular tools that we were that were being gamified, and he was getting feedback on. Whereas the guy who was leaving was 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 he was he just said, "Yeah, yeah, it's great, great, great," and he he was he wasn't engaging in it at all. Um, so so I think yes, I mean, and I, I think that is an issue for designers is to think through the think through. So in the book, we talk about player personas and breaking down your different players the people who are going to be playing your game into the different categories and and then actually trying to think how would i provide a score that is relevant to those different categories 
But also there's this thing about people just getting bored of things. I remember last summer, uh, just walking along the seafront here, there were hundreds of people at night, or, well, almost hundreds, um, with Pokemon Go, all heads bowed, looking at their screens, mm-hmm. searching for strange things. And literally, you could trip over these people. And as I understand it, they had something like 750 million downloads between July 2016 and something like 2019. Now, is anybody playing Pokemon Go now? No, have they? Or have they all moved on? Yeah, I mean, there's that yeah. guy. There's, I saw that guy. Did you see the guy who's who's got his bicycle and he's got twenty phones attached to him? <laughs> <laughs> and he's trying to find all these blooming Pokemon. But what are the elements that people get bored with, and what are the elements that have sort of longevity? Yeah, th- that's a, that's a very good question. Well, like, for me, I think that the the finite nature of of of, of games is, is is the thing that people get bored of. I mean, once you've collected all the different Pokemon, there aren't any more to collect. So it, there comes a point where it's, there's not. You, you, you've reached the end of the game, if you like. I think. Is it something about the intensity of it as well, though? Because um, you can't operate at that level of intensity for, um, forever, continuously. No, you can't. You can't be driving around. You can't. You couldn't be driving Formula One racing all, yes, every day. Yes. Could you? you just go? Or you can't. You can't keep an eye on the number of people that might have um, perished due to a certain virus no, for month on month on month. The John Hopkins site. No, you can't. Uh, um, yeah so but i think that so uh, personally i think the difference is this is where the the idea of this infinite game comes in and what we've what you can see with the successful infinite games is that that they um they create a a, a sense of sense of um it's a sense of identity in the way that people play them so uh you take sort of the premier league the english football league people now, I mean, when that was started, whenever it was 120, 20, 100, you know, nearly well, a century and a half ago, they, it, I, the teams were kind of small teams. They were amateurs. They were just sort of, yeah, let's, let's, let's get together and play a game of football. But now those same teams are, are kind of tribes that are, uh, that, are, that are very much kind of embedded in people's psychology, psyche, psyche and identity. People become, become a, a, a particular team supporter for their whole lives and care very passionately about how that team will do in each annual kind of annual refresh of the of that particular sort of gamification system where you know get people get put you know teams get points and play against each other so uh, and at the end there's a cup and a, and a reward and there's this status but now that's a sort of a two and a half billion pound industry that has has been created from a basic infinite game system infinite gamification uh, design so it does carry if you get it right obviously it can be it can carry on for, for a long time can you walk us through the process for thinking about how to create an appropriate game for something just to sort of outline an outline yeah so uh, yes no good and and i think you know, for anybody listening and they're thinking, my goodness, what's he talking about? They're, 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 I have tropped, the whole idea is I've tried to sort of just break it down very simply in the book. And I, I, I kind of split into three sections, analysis, design, and, and evolution. So, and, and this, for anybody who's done um, any kind of des- work, design work or, around kind of projects and programs or any management work, this, these will all be very familiar. But, you know, the key thing is when you start, just have one objective and and what I call the prime directive, what you're going to do with it, and then try and find not find the 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 data that you're going to use, what the sensor is, and then where um, 
where is the score going to going to fit where is it going to fit into somebody's lives you can't just you're not you're dropping something into someone's life so you need to kind of think about them who who are they and how are they going to use this score which we're going to give them and then once you've kind of got got a, a good understanding of of who it is that um is going to be using the score in the league to to improve their performance and uh, and get better at whatever it is they want to do then then you then it's your job really to say okay how do i design this in the best way and we go into there's quite a lot of lot in terms of what the different types of metrics you can use how you can use them how you can combine them together um how you can think about them and uh, how you can design the the um the league what you show and what you don't show and then also how what are the kind of the pitfalls what are the things you've got to watch out for and this this actually is kind of probably one of the most so useful sort of checklists if you like and the book is lots has got lots of checklists in so you all you have to do is kind of go yeah okay i've covered that off i've thought that through um and um and there's lots of checklists you can just look at it and think okay have i have i designed this right uh, and then finally, once you've got your um, you've got your program, you've got your score at your infinite gamification program. It's hopefully live, and people are looking at it and using it and and, and finding it useful. It's then your job is is doesn't end there. And I, this comes back to your point, Jer- Jeremy, about you know how do you keep these things from from getting boring, or, or how do you keep them things alive? Is that actually a good infinite gamification program evolves over time, so it, it changes um, the the thing the, the things we score who we compare with um what what you know what what goes into it and who decides uh what goes into it those things can all change over time so just having that idea of evolution in in the way in which you think about these programs actually ma- ensures that they're that they're maintained as sort of something that's evergreen uh and continues to give value to the people you're you who you the community you're gamifying hmm. very good and um so Going forward, we, at the moment, so what are the, what are the big mistakes that people can make when when designing a game? So the number one is it's too complicated. <laughs> that, uh, every time I every time I see someone coming with a, a design, it's almost always way too complicated. Um, so that I mean that's I, I sort of I sort of react with that one just because it is, uh, and, and I, I put it at the top. It, it, the thing that the thing and the thing that that that, that gets people. Um, that confuses people is that they see successful games uh, or successful programs and they see them at the end of the evolutionary process. They see them once they've become quite complex, quite sophisticated. Um, but actually they didn't, they never start there. They start with really one or two metrics, trying it out, seeing if it works, some sort of comparison, and then then improving over time. So I think that that's probably the first first thing I would say. And and the and the second mistake is the kind of the corollary of that is is then once you've launched it is then not changing it and not being willing to evolve. If you create this program that's that's brittle and it doesn't work, you know, it's probably not going to work first time. So you need to sort of frame it in such ways that this is something we're going to get better over time, not um oh I've I've launched it and it didn't work. Oh well, give up. And can it make a silk purse out of a sow's ear? <laughs> no, in you sense, can't. In the sense that, you know, if, you, if your job is boring as hell and repetitive and you hate it, by overlaying a game on top of it, I imagine you can bring some relief for a little while. But 
is it only a short-term fix or do you actually need to go and fix the, the problem, which is the, the fact that the job is, itself is too boring? Yeah. I mean, gamification for me isn't about fun. I mean, it doesn't make things... The, the sort of gamification that I'm talking about with infinite gamification doesn't make it more fun. It just it, it just gives you better feedback and helps you improve at what you're doing. But it could give you a sense of purpose, if not fun. Yes, that's true. So you could, it could, it could channel you into what what it what it might do, and, and this is one of the sort of the strengths and weaknesses. It might channel you into a particular kind of um, activities that, uh, that that and then and then you might see that sort of see those improve. So see, so you're, you're getting the feedback is is quite a satisfying thing. Oh, I've done mm-hmm. that, thing and, and now I'm getting some good feedback. Um, particularly if you're in a world where you don't get any feedback, and suddenly you are. That's that can be quite satisfying. Let's just delve into that a little bit more because there is a real duty of care in my mind um, that the game makers have. Um, Do you want to talk a bit about how you see that responsibility for folks that are putting games together that might affect a large Mm, number of people? I I mean, so I I think that it's it's super important that when you're... um, you're applying a kind of a game to other people you you are responsible for some of the the behaviors that that people do as a result of it so you yes you do have to be careful i mean the one i always think about is this this um uh, you know holding your breath underwater as a, as a good example of where you have to think okay what 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 am i what am i doing now so i, I if i say to if i say to um an individual, you know, how long can you hold your breath underwater? I've created a game, haven't I? I've, I've said, you know, there's a score, number of minutes spent underwater, and then and there's a, an improvement. Oh, if I stay underwater for a bit longer, I can continue. I can uh, beat my score. Now, I've got a I've got a responsibility because actually the the end result of staying underwater too long and trying to beat your score is that you might die. Um, so, uh, and there are lots. If you you know, there are lots of examples of where 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 children and 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 students have di- have died have died trying to keep trying to beat their record on staying underwater. Um, so so if I'm creating a game which or which says who can stay underwater for the longest, it's I, there's a real duty of care on me to say, well, hang on, um, I, you know, I'm I'm encouraging the sort of behaviour that could tr- in, and and could could kill somebody. So if and if you so if you and and, and there's a re, and it's a real example because you look at the Guinness World of Records they on the Guinness World of Records website there's a there's the world record for the longest you know look, person who's kept the longest breath underwater. But actually, you're playing with um, brain chemistry to a degree, and as um, our knowledge of um, behavioural psychology improves, mm. the techniques are becoming more and more powerful. Um, do you not? Do you not think that sometimes, I mean, I'd be interested to know what the role of behavioural psychology is actually playing at, at the sort of design stage and whether my concern about this sort of manipulation or the, the, the idea that it can be very manipulative, um, how, do, how does that play into thinking? Yeah, I think I think we've learned a lot, haven't we, about behavioural psychology. I, 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 the point I would make is that a lot of this is happening anyway, and it's just being done badly. So your managers in companies around the world are creating scores for their staff, uh, and and those scores, if they're not if they're not reading, if they're not going through the book and looking through and th- watching out for the pitfalls, they're probably creating some some pretty bad scores that are having unwanted side effects. So 
um, for me, the, the the kind of the behavioral psychology issue is, is is really that I think if someone was much more aware of the behavioral psychology, one would hope that they were were also a, a much more aware of what they what what their kind of words words and framing might do to the to the individual who's receiving it. Um, the I think the 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 one thing I would all, I always encourage in any of the programs where I've been involved um, as a kind of a, a canary if you like a canary in the coal, coal mine in order to to stop those sort of problems is is when you create a, a score committee so some so most of these programs there's a, a small group it might be two or three managers or whatever who are who who take overall responsibility for the program just like you have um, a, a, a committee at say at the at the Olympics who 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 decide what the rules are. The Olympics with any of these games, there's a kind of a two or three. It might be an informal group, it might be formal, it doesn't really matter. But that group should always have people in it who are actually playing the game. So that you're always getting that point of view of the of the of the player. Uh, it's not just uh, something that management are, are giving to the giving to their staff or somebody is somebody is doing to one doing to their players. It's actually this is a a, a system and a and a and a, a game if you like that uh, or gamification program that that is actually where the player has some say and is and and the players are seeing that that it is creating a benefit for them. It can get a bit more than that, though, can't it? Because if, for the sake of argument, you're operating within a team and one member of the team isn't performing as well as some of the other members of the team, um, that can set up all sorts of other dynamics, I imagine. So the idea of a score committee, I think it's great that they're there. But um, do they not have to have some specific technical skills as well? I mean, because you, you do run the risk of mental health issues and all that sort of stuff coming to the surface. And, I mean, just recently we did a, an episode on ethics in technology and it's a real issue because it's a bit like the wild west there's nobody it seems to me who's actually regulating this sort of thing and it's you're you're working with tools that are actually extraordinarily powerful and very often it's amateurs that are doing it um and i suspect it's also down to the intention um of the person setting the scheme up so you can have some people who have every you know very good intentions and it's all for good and you have in other hands um in more malign hands you've got this notion of the electronic whip mm. where actually it's a, a a mechanism for just basically getting people to work harder and harder and harder um what's your what's your thoughts on that so so i think that there is a there is a regulatory um response to it which is um uh, I think Mer- Angela Merkel. So the Germans are very sharp on all of this because they, uh, I think, growing up, people, anyone who grew up in East Germany under the Stasi is very, very aware of privacy and and scoring and and how they're uh, perceived by others. So, um, so Angela Merkel was saying that that we need uh, the the sort of regulation that we're going to need is 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 better transparency around the algorithm. So how and the algorithm in this case could can be how you are scored. Uh, so and, and for me. I think it's more that I would tweak that a little bit and say it's algorithmic um, accountability. We we don't necessarily need to be to be able to see exactly how we're scored, but we we do need to be able to to make the algorithm accountable for how 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 it's come to a particular decision, whether I'm high or low, whether I have a high credit score or a low credit score, whatever it is. I should be able to sort of push into that score and understand where it comes from. And and I give you an example of why. Um, algorithmic transpar why where this regulation would definitely help is if you take for example the the way in which an uber driver is um allocated uh rides new rides now the the, the algorithm at uber will allocate um uh 
a new ride to a driver if they've got a rating score so that's the score that we as we as kind of users of uber uh, have given them if they've got a rating score between 4.6 and 5 now what's interesting is that most people that they don't know that's the algorithm it's not transparent to them so there so if you go into your uber take an uber taxi or lyft or whoever it is and and give and you think oh that was a pretty good ride i'll give them a f- score four or four out of five i never really give a five because that, that i'll save that for when you know save save that for the for the, the you know for a real special guy but if you're giving a score of a four you're actually giving that that driver a fail because it, as far as the algorithm is concerned a four is is not good enough and that will bring their overall average uh, rating down so so for me the that's a that's a classic example of where the 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 regulation that we need to see to make things these things better is is around is around making sure that we all understand where these scores are coming from where these where, where these gamification programs that we are part of whether we choose to or not to and of course uber drivers choose to be uber drivers um but you know whether the whether whether those those programs are actually uh actually actually good and 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 can be evolved over time as we all start to sort of make them better i'd like to apologize to all uber drivers that i've given a four-star rating to because i thought they were pretty good because i've done that so many times um can we just take take a, a slightly broader approach to that it seems to me that there are scores that are bandied around that people just don't understand so for example gdp or the emerging index of the the happiness index I don't think many people could accurately describe why GDP is good, Mm. why growth is good. And yet, it drives so many of our mechanics and policy yeah, no, making. I mean, there's, there, there, that's a whole whole area, isn't it? The, um, I did a course with a, a guy called Richard Griffiths at the University of Leiden called uh, "Configuring the World," and he he delves into real detail of of all of these different um, uh, indexes and scores, and, and 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 just sort of highlights just how how much we make these kind of big macroeconomic decisions on what are quite shaky and flaky scores. Um, GDP is a good example. Yeah, you're right. It just, it just, it's just a kind of a measure of the the, the amount of activity rather than necessarily the productivity of a country. Um, and and I think this is where this and one of the examples in the book we 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 I talk about is um, uh, what the UNDP United Nations Development Program created a a new type of score which they specifically said okay this is going to this is this is to counter the effect of GDP as as the measure of whether a country is doing well or badly and and into the Human Development Index they put in uh, maternal mortality and uh, you know the, the sort of mean years of schooling for kids so 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 it was it wasn't just about how how much money or how much economic activity a country is doing but is also you know whether they were looking after their uh, the health care and whether of, of the of, of the kind of the key parts of the population and also the um whether whether the, whether the children were being schooled for long enough so what you suddenly see is that countries that are, are um not necessarily the richest suddenly go right up to the top and countries that are very rich say in oil uh, but have got poor schooling or poor education poor health system or poor education then go down down the league tables and so that human development index is a good example of where policy making can be uh, setting up a good score in response to a bad score is a, is a is a really good thing to do the rather the negative sides of it are i mean apparently disney Disneyland in California introduces a traffic light system for cleaning staff and so on. And it comes back to this idea of, you know, you you 
are under pressure. If you're getting a, if you've got a traffic light system where, if you get red, you're fired, and if you get green, you're okay, and if you have a, an amber, then people are watching you. You have this constant drip, drip, drip of pressure and tension. Um, it can't be good for you. I mean, and I just get this. I mean, this notion of the, of the electronic whip is one that in today's day and age, you think is really, really want to be wary of um, when you hear about how some of these organizations are operating. Um, does that does that not concern you a bit? Yeah, I, it does. I mean, one of the reasons I've written the book is that I don't like electronic rips that are, that are badly designed. Um, so, Is it going to need legislation? Um, I, I don't know. That's, I think... At this stage, I don't think. I mean, the, the one problem with legislation is whether your legislators are understand are savvy enough. Mm. Uh, I mean, they're 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 quite. I mean, you've you've got people like Jacob Rees-Mogg. There, there's quite a long way to go for some of the legislators in terms of understanding the kind of the the the, the uh, until we have a, so for, until we have somebody who's actually from who's been in the gig economy for a serious amount of time actually you know rising to power i don't think we're going to get we're going to get pretty you know really good um management of the management and regulation of 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 these kind of gig economy issues and they're they're not they're not easy they're they're not they're not easy to solve with regulation it, it's plain and simple so for me the the, the the approach that I'm taking is well I'm I'm not necessarily going to be able to help we are not going to be able to sort of regulate our way out of this but we can certainly make sure that that if we improve the the understanding not just of the 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 managers who are putting in these sorts of programs but also the the people who are having to sort of play them so i would encourage people who to, you know the book is not just for people who are creating game of infinite gamification programs it's also for people who find that they're at work or at home or wherever it is and they're part of an infinite gamification program they want to just think about that score um in a bit more detail so those cleaners thinking about the traffic light system and i would i would my kind of approach and my hope would be that they they would be the ones to to push for change so that it, it isn't creating that kind of anxiety which you described which of course is is you know the car is, is a horrible way to 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 do to do a job to, to, to be doing a job every day can we just delve into that then for people that find themselves socially distanced and remote working um I suspect that there are a whole new bunch of metrics around the workplace and efficiency that people are now finding they um, they are having applied to them. What would your advice be to somebody in middle management who has a, a small team um, or someone who runs a small business and has a small team and looks at that team in this new world and the kinds of metrics that are there? How do they, how do they help their team to A, survive and and be yeah good to thrive. so i think that i think if i was if i was in that situation i mean the first thing i would do is, is think is that this is an opportunity i mean we've we've spent um spent 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 most of last century with a, a culture where the default score that people take when they go into the office is presenteeism how many hours have i spent in the office now th- th- with remote working and this change we've got a huge opportunity for every in all sorts of organizations to change that default sort of t- default score to something that's a m- lot more relevant and much more results focused so i would I, I mean the first thing i would be doing is 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 looking at the activities the work as a whole and and then identifying what looks like success what is what are we what are we all trying to achieve what does results look what what are the results and then to 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 work with 
the the individuals in the team and and get them to try and um get them to as a focus group to so we talk about that in the book but as a focus group to try and suggest how um what sort of scores should we be tracking and what should we be looking at in order to improve our overall team performance uh so the, the question might be the, the question that you might want to ask i think would as a man as a middle, middle manager is is how can i give you feedback that 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 helps you do your job better uh and, and that's that's really where it starts and then if it goes into comparison things or, or, or whatever but it's it, it's it's really about how do you help your your individual reports to do better at the job that they're doing it's done silence i know Toby, toby's waxing lyrical <laughs> <laughs> have you i mean the whole law of unintended consequences thing yeah. have you seen any examples of where again it's been introduced and it's generated all sorts of unintended consequences yeah, so we did. I did one of my earlier projects. I'm pleased it was one of my earlier projects, but it could easily. Have been you don't one. have to own up to this, Toby. It doesn't have to be one of yours. No, well, well, yeah, it wasn't my. Well, this is a, this is a point because I, I think because I've been doing Rise, where I'm I'm what right just to your readers won't listen. Your listeners won't Tell know, us but, about but that. Rise is really about um, displaying the score and notifying people of the score and the leaderboard. So we don't get into the the design of it so much. But we once somebody's come, so we get lots of companies and all teams that come to us once they've created their whole um system and they just want something that will make it look nice and presentable on the internet show it on the mobile phone wherever it is uh and then also sending out emails or tweets is, is quite a popular one um so so that's what rises it so we, we 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 quite often see people come onto our system with a kind of a fully baked program and they're just using us for the for the dis- display and distribution side and so, so, so one of the early customers we got, and of course you get small customers who do that and you get big customers. So, and when, when they're the big ones, the, the interesting thing is that if it does go wrong, it can go wrong quite sort of dramatically. So this, this one company, they, um, they created a program. The idea was they were going, they wanted, they were launching a new brand. So they were a new, I think it was just a tweak to their existing logo, but for them it was a new brand and they wanted all their staff and there were about 120,000 of them worldwide to, to download the brand book and ask questions and to share it amongst their colleagues and to, uh, and to be interested in it. And so they created this, what they considered to be a gamification program where they said, right, we're going to give away um, three, we're going to go three iPads for uh, who, who um, whoever gets the most points in our, um, in our, in our gamification program. And uh, so that that was that that was all well and good and and things but what what happened as soon as they launched it it went completely bananas in in india because whereas in 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 this in the western world you know an ipad or for for this this organization an ipad would have been a a nice perk but for people who are who are who are who an ipad can be as much as a month or two months salary so it's a big deal and so what 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 we suddenly saw was all all these people who were logging in on sunday to to use this program there was people who had um who who were hacking into the system and so it would automatically they they got their system to automatically send out 700 different emails to all their colleagues so they were spamming everybody so uh, and and so you just got all these behaviors and and again we talk about it in the book these unintended consequences these these behaviors where people were just were 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 trying were sort of drifting away from the original game what they were meant to be doing at work because just to try and beat the game and so 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 they actually had in the end they had to sort of cut it short because they just didn't want they just said it completely sort of sort of clogged up our all our internal communication with all these staff talking about the brand game Mm -hmm. great great 
Wow. So how how do parents, how do people become more mature in how they consume mm. scores? Yeah, I, th- that's yeah, that's that's it, isn't it? And I mean, I think I think thinking about it. So the first thing is just don't when when you when you when you get a score if you the more you understand about how scores are made the, the more you'll look at it and think okay is this a good score or a bad score when i'm given a score um and 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 maturity comes with with experience of course you know we all i mean when i first got a fitbit i was super excited and went out and did lots of steps but now if i get when next when i have fitbit and things i i'm i'm i i kind of leave it on but i'm less i'm less i'm i'm maybe tracking it on a sort of a a weekly basis and seeing if it's if if i'm doing enough i'm not so interested in it my um as an example my wife who this is she's just got her first fitbit so she she was saying well what what should i do and i was saying well you know when when you get your first fitbit don't don't go off and um don't just adjust your behavior immediately just just wait just create a baseline with the score as it's given to you of how many steps you do a day so that you know what you're doing already without kind of being gamified if you like so so she's been able to see how many steps she's doing on a normal day without thinking about it then once you've got that then then look at the kind of the 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 target that you're being given by this score by the fitbit so fitbit has this arbitrary number of ten thousand. it's an entirely arbitrary number uh you can now you she should then you know take that that target into yourself now for you it might be for her it might be eight thousand. it might be sixteen thousand. but it's then it becomes her target so she get she then starts to own the score and that's a key part of maturity is it is that the score isn't something that's just been given and handed down from on high it's something that is actually uh, important to her and then and then and then and then and then so so then once she's kind of um once she's got once she's got once she's using that score then then she can then start to adjust her behavior um to suit and 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 again not to to not to not to do not to go so far that you're you're just trying to beat the score just to try and sort of incrementally gradually improve it and the i guess the third principle that i kind of was talk we were talking about which again is a sort of infinite gamification principle is don't try and do everything at once there's a there's a great sort of classic sort of immaturity issue where you get given a score and you think right i'm gonna do fitbits a good what you know i'm gonna do my steps i'm gonna make sure my heart rate goes down i'm gonna eat less i'm gonna sleep better i'm gonna um do more step climb more stairs you can't do all of that in one go you'll just blow up so just focus on one metric at a time optimize that and once you've got that and you're happy with it then move on to the next metric so th- those are the sorts of examples that that sort of conversation that, that 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 my wife and i had actually i think is is quite relevant to any type of gamification program is 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 you know, for, you know when you get a score just you know don't rush create a baseline see what it's giving you already then think okay how you know what what is my target within the context of this score and then then start to gradually optimize slowly just take one thing at a time the way you say it like that, it sounds great. Um, the thing is, it seems to me when you're creating them for yourself, uh, or it's for your, if you're, you're making a decision that you want to improve or learn something, I think that's fine. When it's being created by other people as a mechanism to change your behavior, to drive your behavior, um, that becomes more problematic for me. And there's a very big gray area in between. We sort of slide from one to the other without really realizing it. Um, and you look at, I mean, you look at things like the, the social credit system in China, which is just one enormous game, it seems to me. And I imagine, you know, collecting these scores and being rewarded by being allowed to travel or being allowed to go to university, you know, great prizes. 
but the underlying um, principle of it is just dreadful. And if you look at the current situation we have with COVID-19, um, and in certain places, people are being followed by drones and all this. Again, it's sort of taking elements of um, video gaming into the real world and people are becoming slightly dehumanized. Um, I was reading about the military, drone pilots in the military, who have become completely desensitized to what it is they're actually doing. And they have leaderboards and they get badges and they get, you know, cord and medals. And they have they, they name their targets jackpots and they have kill tables and things. And when they're interviewed, there's no appreciation that they're really connecting um, with real people. And I just, underneath all of this, there's this sort of slight sense that I've got that's slightly dystopian that we are being, you know, the moment you're being monitored and it's, and, and some of it is a form of monitoring, be it tables or otherwise, it's about a lack of trust and it's about power and control. And in the 21st century sort of work environment, is that appropriate? Is that what is that is that is is that what's going to drive creativity and innovation and the things that we need, or is it based on sort of old thinking about command and control and you know squeeze and yeah, are we over measuring? You know, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I think that's actually fair fair commentary, isn't it? I, um, I, I think what again, you know, coming from my. You know, in my rise world, I, yeah. So I, I've, I, I've, I, you do. You see both. You see managers who are who are command and control, and you see ones who are who are kind of serving their staff. Um, I, I guess the reality is, and I think this is a, a, another kind of key message: is that every context is unique, and mm. I, I think that you, you know, it's not it's not for us to apply our particular cultural biases to other people's scoring systems, although we might want to. And we can certainly say we don't want that here. I'm quite, you know, that's a perfectly reasonable statement. But to say they shouldn't have that score there is a different kind of statement, isn't it? And mm-hmm. um, the, the, you know, the, the, I mean, I think my understanding of the reality of the social credit system in China, for example, is that is that it is popular. Uh, it's not that it's, it's not something that the government is just enforcing on people and it but but that's not whether it's a good thing or bad thing is a difficult thing to say um the on the terms of those kind of that sort of surveillance state yes i i you know i i i i'm as as, as scared of you of the of the surveillance space the only thing that i have that i do know about surveillance is that is that the um you know cctv you know we're, we're in a country where cctv is incredibly popular um and the reason is is because it works it does displace the crime um it doesn't necessarily get rid of it but it does displace it so the we 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 have to make decisions as a society around surveillance and monitoring and and each society needs to make its own decisions and um i you know i don't think that this you know i don't think a business I mean, as a business person, I don't have a kind of, I don't have a remit really to sort of make those decisions. And those are the difficult decisions of politicians and, and, and legislators and lobbyists and everybody else. But I think- But as really, you were saying that very often, they aren't very aware of what's going on or don't really understand the implications of it. Um, so in the end, it would be designers like you who are having to make decisions um, in real time about what you do, what's you know what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. I mean, would you- would you turn down a piece of work if you thought it was inappropriate? I mean, does that, or do you feel that you've got complete control over how these things 
end out? Yeah, end good up? question. Yeah. Um, uh, I certainly get frustrated with work that's inappropriate. <laughs> um, I, if I, yeah, I mean, are they, are your clients expecting guidance from you? So, so the sorts of client, as I was saying before, you see, I tend to see it after the event. There are, there are I mean, whereas I have been, in, you know, so like uh, there are, there are games where I've created infinite games that I've created. I tend to get, I tend to see a lot that m- the majority of programs that I see personally are ones where somebody else or some other team has designed it, and I'm just seeing the results of their design, mm. and I watch it and I watch it play out. Um, I don't, I'm not, nece- I'm not, I'm not necessarily a kind of um, I don't. I don't necessarily get a lot of sort of consultancy, for example. So don't mm, mm. sign a game for us. I don't. I'm not really in that world. Um, so, so this is more my kind of experience of seeing seeing programs and trying to sort of say this is how I would what, what I've what I've seen work. Um, but yes, in answer to your question, yeah, I, I don't think I um, I, I don't. I, I don't think I could take something that I didn't agree with. No, of course mm-hmm. not. But. Um, uh yeah i I think that it it is i i do i personally find i find any mandatory program difficult to design because my thinking is always around uh, you know what does the player want what does the individual want and how do we provide better feedback to them but that's Mm. not necessary but but the the problem is that that's not most that's not not all the programs there are lots of different programs uh and every and everybody and so there are programs that come from very command and control environments and we just hope and my hope is that this will make them a little bit better rather than necessarily get rid of them altogether Mm. Mm. i'm just reminded a little bit of in my advertising agency days they had this notion of subliminal advertising where they felt that you know um if you projected an image very quickly so that only your unconscious mind could see it it somehow impacted on your behavior um it's not totally clear that that works but they banned it in this country. It's still um, you're still allowed to do it in the United States, but not here. Similarly, with NLP, neurolinguistic programming, I had some friends in the states that were practicing practicing this, and eventually they had to stop because they were going into private companies, and they were using some of these techniques. And people within the companies, you know, the, the, the employees, um, reacted against it because they felt again that it was being it was was being manipulative and that they were not there to be manipulated they were there to sell their labor or their time um and they felt it was a step too far and i wonder whether at some point there would be a, a, a backlash against a lot of this um this work unless it it does start to operate in a much clearer framework it's interesting how a lot of these threads across our episodes point back to us as a society and different layers of size in terms of the the parish, the the town, the city, the country, the world, making decisions about things consciously and engaging with those things and deciding what is okay and what is not and okay. Right? It's becoming more and more interconnected. So you can make a decision not to do something in terms of gamification but actually, if it's connected to some artificial intelligence that somebody else is involved with, or some other decision that's being made, some I mean, all of these things seem to be becoming mm-hmm. more and more connected. So you need this sort of strong moral philosophical framework within which all of it can operate. And I'm not clear where that's coming from anymore. I'm not sure there is one. No. I, I mean, have you read um, uh, Robert Child... I don't know how you pronounce his last name, Cialdini, C-A-I... 
Cialdini, C I A L D I N I. He's he's written a couple of books um, uh, on the on this, and his his first book was on on how to avoid you know the the trappings of persuasion of of people mm. trying to influence you. I think it was called influence. And um and and then it, the, what was interesting for him is that most of the people the feedback was people he got was was can you teach us how to influence? So I don't want to be told how not to avoid it. <laughs> Come and teach us how to influence. It. So he wrote a second book. Yeah. But but yeah. <laughs> I, I mean one of the things that always comes back to me when this that's with the sorts of issues you're realizing is is when I first started my professional career some very wise Moss said to me don't take your business techniques home you know they won't work at home or they will only work once so for example uh, I mean we had a technique there's a technique in consulting called the conditioning statement where you, you might you have a client and you might I mean uh, you, we all get it I mean if every time you take your car into a for, for renewal and the mechanic looks and goes goes you know, that's a conditioning statement, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not being told that I'm going to, that it's going to cost money, but I'm, I'm now conditioned to think that it's going, it might well cost a lot of money. And, and what, what, what that, that message that, that you can't use it at home is, is because your kids, your, your, your family, they're going to, they're going to, um, they're, they're going to learn and they're going to pick up on it. So they, so, and I think for a lot of these kind of nef- difficult kind of issues like your NLP or, or, or kind of any type of kind of manipulative techniques, I, I think, eventually the more that we all understand them the more the less that that power they have over us i think the problem is really when 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 we're we're first first subjected to them they they are they 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 are they have too much they have too much power but once you um once 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 you've kind of you become sort of um vaccinated against them because you've 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 seen it when you've kind of think oh hang on i'm not that that's a condition so now if i say something my wife will say is that a conditioning statement so so i i know i can't do any conditioning statements with her excellent and knowledge is power isn't it um okay so if folks wanted to get a hold of your book, where could so they do on, that? Um, I've got a website for it called infinitegamification.com where I'm um, putting putting up any kind of uh, interviews like this and, and, and talking about the book. But uh, it, it's on Amazon. I've, I've done it as a Kindle book and as a paperback. It's uh, on Kindle. It's £4.99 and uh, it's £7.99 as a paperback. And you can um, you can get it from Amazon and most Amazons. So whether you're in the UK or abroad, um, that's where it is. Great. Excellent. And if folks wanted to get in touch with you yeah, specifically. Yeah, they're welcome to get in touch with me. I um I kind of I'm on Twitter as as Toby Beresford. I'm on most sort of social channels as as with Toby Beresford all one word. Um if you've got specific gamification questions, I'm probably not the right person to ask in the uh, so there's a whole community of gamification experts so, so i prefer it if you've got a, if you've got a project and you're thinking oh what i could do with some help on this i'm i, I can uh, if you post it on if you come across quora q-u-o-r-a there's a gamification um topic on quora where there's lots of other kind of gamification gamification people including myself who who tend to answer questions and so it's a kind of q a forum which um which which helps so it's a good place to look if you've got questions very good. Excellent. And and lastly, Rise Global. How do folks um, get more information about how they could build their own oh, leaderboard? Yeah, so it's, it's rise.global, uh, R-I-S-E dot global. And um, I, 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 I didn't know you were... I didn't know you were going to do, going to mention it, but if if you if you're a podcast listener, then um, 
definitely get in touch with with i mean i'll create a discount code and you can have have some have some money off a, a subscription if you're an old fox young fox uh uh listener so um we'll put that in the in the program notes i'll, I'll give you a discount code for rise.global are you a young fox or an old fox toby uh, <laughs> i knew you were gonna ask that I, I had to think about it young i'm a young fox still oh, <laughs> he shouted yeah. at the sky let me be young um i suppose the only question i would have is uh, where does gamification go from here mm, yeah that's a small one it's, it's, it's a small one. so gamification has been will be viewed by most people within for example the advertising industry as a bit of a damp squib actually funny enough it's 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 it's, it's been a, or damp fireworks something that had this sort of huge potential to change the world but has hasn't really or doesn't appear to have 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 come into um it doesn't appear to have become something in and of itself it's more um gamification is a kind of an, a part of design or in my case sort of management um so i think gamification as a as a practice uh has it has an interesting path ahead of it i i don't know whether it will become where it will where it will fit i think that what we are seeing is a lot more we continue to the thing that hasn't changed is that we continue to see lots of gamification uh there are lots of projects and programs that are that, that use gamification principles um as it's not that there isn't a kind of an industry as such, isn't you don't sort of say you, don't, you know, there were one or two gamification conferences, but they're very kind of fairly academic and quite sort of geeky. There isn't a kind of a, a general, it's not like sort of, I don't know, smartphones, for example, where there's huge conferences where people go to to discuss the latest smartphone. It's quite a sort Do of, they teach it in business school now? No, I don't think so. I think it would fit it. it, it, it I think it would, it, it may, it may, it may get a paragraph in business school. I think it's, it's still, it's still very much something that people don't necessarily um see as a as a thing in itself there are i, I think um one of my colleagues who i think you had on the program pete jenkins he's just sort of looking at where gamification is being taught and there are there are places where it's being taught but it's 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 definitely not the it's definitely not the norm yet no um so so yeah in answer to where it goes from here i think i, I think the key thing is to see um for me, it's 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 to key if if we can see more maturity um, in in the people creating the games more and 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 creating good games and, and just understand this difference between you know, a good score and a good league, a good infinite gamification program versus a bad one. That's that's pretty super important. Toby, that's been fascinating. You asked me one more question that I had that, that you told me in the you're going to ask me, so I've I've, I've come up. I, 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 we, we won't let you waste it. Go on, answer. Don't let me waste it. Do you mind? I'll answer the question I didn't ask you. <laughs> <laughs> That's really uh, we, we, we just for the, any listeners. We were asked. They they gave they gave me they gave me one or two questions that they that they, they like the young fox one that they thought I bring. And it was, this question I thought was a great question, um, and it's one we should all be asking ourselves really, which is what what is one thing you'd like to change in the world world i said well, actually i would like to ask you to that so why, uh, why don't i answer it and then you tell me your answers um what so and i and i think one of the, this one little thing i'd like to change is to end alphabetical lists online i think that for me it's a completely sort of 
pointless and lazy way of listing information it's kind of a, it's a hang up from the days of paper books when you you know you don't you don't need an alphabetical list online you've got a search button so you know i think it'd be really exciting to to for people to to just to get rid of alphabetical lists online altogether and we just have lists that are are, are in some useful order rather than in just completely pointless alphabetical order so that was my that was my my one thing i'd like to change in the world Good Jeremy, thoughts. what um, about you? I this this oh, is a time dancer. <laughs> I suppose I was thinking of something worthy. Not that not that alphabetical lists aren't worthy, but um I suppose I just love it if people learn how to talk to each other in a civilized way again. And we're able to um you know, I love this idea of isigoria, the Greek um expression for um having a discourse where you might disagree with somebody but you're committed to driving out the best solution so that the wider population are properly informed so they can make choices and i would love that to be sort of taught in schools and for people to practice it because at the moment having civilized discourse in the public space seems to be very difficult I'm with that. that sounds, is that worthy enough? Mm. Is that worthy enough for oh, you? That's a fantastic one. Isigoria being taught at schools. I like that. I I look it up. I like it a lot. Mm. Get rid of schools as well, probably. Another one. There's <laughs> got to be something better than school. And I guess I I guess the one thing that that I'd like to change today, because there will be more things, um, is I would love people to become more educated and therefore to develop more understanding about the way the world works, the way other people work, and therefore be able to make more kind choices to those around them. So understanding other people's point of view, isn't it? Yeah, and not just within the conversation that you and I are having, but also the fact that my car is idling outside and that that is affecting mm. things, you know, that my actions have consequences. I'm not saying my car is idling outside because I don't have a car, well, but yeah. you get yeah, that okay. point. <laughs> we arrived at all this philosophical stuff without a whiskey and without a spiff. So eat your heart out, Joe Rogan. <laughs> and on that note, thank you, Toby. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, great conversation. Enjoyed it. Folks, that's it for another episode. You can follow the show and get in touch and tell us what you think on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can support the show on Patreon. Head over to donate.oldboxyoungbox.com. All donations are used to make this show better. And we'll see you next time. Whoa. Whoa.